morning. This is Jean Abshire with the International Power Hour. I'm here this morning with uh, political cartoonist Dwayne Booth, better known as Mr. Fish. Good morning, Mr. Fish. Good morning. And I'm here also with my co-host Cliff Staten. Good morning, Cliff. Good morning. How are, how's everyone today Excellent. in Indiana? It's a beautiful, not sunny day here. <laughs> it's very gray. <laughs> it's very gray. It's very sunny here. Yeah, that happens. <laughs> So, um, thanks to the IU Southeast Library, um, shout out to them, we are able to have um, a very well-known um, political cartoonist with us, as I said, Mr. Fish. Um, Mr. Fish's work has been published in the Los Angeles Times, The Village Voice, The Atlantic, Huffington Post, Vanity Fair, um, various online sites like MSNBC and Slate.com. Um, he has won the Sigma Delta Chi Award for Editorial Cartooning from the Society of Professional Journalists. That was in um, 2010 and 2011. Um, and in 2012, he was awarded the Gams Aronson Award for Cartooning with a Conscience. <laughs> and that, um, I think, uh, gives a good segue <laughs> into introducing uh, Mr. Fish's work, which is, a, as I said to him uh, just before we started, uh, is equal opportunity offending absolutely everyone. <laughs> um, enlightening. Equal opportunity enlightening. Yes. Okay, let's be positive. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but I think um, I, I, I did want to make sure that I said this. So I'm going to I'm just going to, you know, head into it right up front and then I'll go to the questions. I think um, that challenging people's thinking to the point of offense, mm -hmm. um, which is why I, I wasn't shying away from that word, right. um, is a positive thing. Um, we. Uh, educated citizens in a democratic society need to think critically. Mm -hmm. And you don't necessarily think critically if you're not made uncomfortable. Right. Um, and there's an enlightenment element to that, but there can also be a little bit more. Yeah, there's there's discomfort on the way to enlightenment for sure. Yeah. If it's if it's meaningful and, and necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Mr. Fish, can yeah. I ask a question right off the bat? Sure. Where did the name Fish come from? Uh, settle back, kids. It's a, <laughs> I'll, I'll shorten this story. Um, but uh, I had dropped out of college and I uh, was living in the back of my parents' house um, and didn't have a job. Every parent's dream. Just, so far, <laughs> you can tell that. Um, and so I wanted to, uh, I dropped out to be a, a dangerous playwright slash stand-up comedian slash, uh, um, insufferable know-it-all, I, I guess is really what it was. Um, and I was drawing, uh, ideas down for jokes, um, and ended up with a stack of what would be cartoons. Uh, and I was also looking at um, magazines, the progressive and liberal magazines of the day. This was during the Reagan administration. And I thought that all of the cartoons were wrong because they just seemed to be arguing from the Democratic side of the aisle in contempt of the Republican side. And the humanitarian concerns that I had were not being reflected by any of the cartoons that I was seeing. So I started to correct that vision for myself, just like, no, this is what this issue is about. It is not a right left issue. Issue. It's a it's a question of power um, abusing those who have um, marginalized populations. Um, so all of a sudden, I ended up with this gigantic stack of drawings, and as I said, being um, uh, unemployed and just working by candlelight through the night, uh, I said, you know what? I'll try to bring in some income, and I'll send these to these magazines that I'm some criticizing. 
but I need a name because my real name is Dwayne Booth. And at that time, the number one cartoonist for the New Yorker was George Booth. Oh, um, oh yes. Yeah. So I couldn't use Booth and I was not going to do, write Dwayne down because that just seems so like Cher, Madonna, single name. <laughs> and I didn't think I could pull that off. So I, I let it sit for quite a while. And then my mother had gotten my stepfather for Father's Day, a new pet bird. And she was asking for what is what, what should we name this bird? And as I said, Mr. Genius that I was, insufferable know-it-all living in the back of the house there, I said the best name for a pet bird is obviously Mr. Fish. So I wrote that on a piece of paper, put an arrow on it next, uh, and, and stuck it up next to the cage for my mother to see when she woke up the next morning. Um, I went to bed promptly when everybody else woke up woke up in the late afternoon to get back to my work. She had rejected the name and it was stuck up to my wall, but it was stuck up in such a way where the arrow was pointing down to this stack of unsigned cartoons. <laughs> and you know, of course, I was just like, well, it's written, you know, the universe is trying to tell me something. So I signed Mr. Fish to all the cartoons and sent them out. And I was immediately published. And the first publisher that uh, responded to these 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 uh, mailings was the publisher of Anarchy magazine, <laughs> and he wrote me a note saying, "Oh, Mr. Fish, I've been following your work for thirty years. I'm a huge fan." This is I was nineteen. I was going to say you weren't born. <laughs> yeah, so of course, you know, I auto automatically had notoriety, and I, you know, why fly in the face of that? So I was just like, "Yes, well, I will, I will send you whatever you want." He said, "Whatever you send me, you will be forever in." print Mr. Fish. Thank you. Wow. So yeah, so that's where the Mr. Fish name comes from. It, by pure sheer accident and panic. <laughs> Supposed that's, to be a bird. That's, that's wonderful. I love it. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. I've, I've read your stuff for 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Well, the funny thing, let me just say really quick, too, because this is funny, because now because I, I teach at the University of Pennsylvania as a college dropout, which is also very satisfying, you know, at an Ivy League school. Um, and for the very first day that I was teaching, my TA thought it would be funny if he just introduced me as Mr. Fish. So I've been there for um, uh, five, six years now. And so the students, I don't even think they know my real name. So they call me Fish, and a number of them just assume that I'm highly pedigreed. So many of them call me Dr. Fish. <laughs> Much to the anger of the, of the truly pedigreed, you know, faculty that surrounds me. <laughs> oh, wow. Professor well, Fish at the very least. Yes, yes, yes. Can I, can I follow up on that a bit? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, cartooning and satire, probably as old as politics, certainly as old as newspapers. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just one way of getting your point. How did you become interested in cartooning and satire in particular? Well, I would even say that, uh, yes, it certainly has existed through the history of, of magazines and newspapers. But I would argue that it even predates that. Um, I would argue that using art to um, to to um, communicate an opinion about life is really what it is. I don't, I don't differentiate between just regular art producing sort of commentary about 
what it means literally to be alive to producing uh, commentary that that attacks politics. Um, because I think that um, both of those things exist simultaneously of each other. There is a political world, but it resides in the real world. And I think that that as a as a satirist, uh, what you're trying to do is you're trying to communicate why um, political thinking can be a detriment to real life. If you're ignoring real life and you're just concentrating on politics, that's really the truth. That, that's why satire is different from straight political humor, as far as I'm concerned. Um, because if you look at something like, well, let's just go to uh, Jonathan Swift. You know, you look at this, this, this piece that was written in the 1700s, um, uh, modest proposal, which is basically about the, um, it, you know mocking British society and their treatment of the um, Irish poverty. And the solution being that the Irish should uh, to, should s sell their 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 children basically to to the English as as food. Mm -hmm. um, that's a very very deep dark satire. But minus the um, the horror of murdering children, what made it uh, especially profound is that it actually functioned logically as an economic solution. And so if you can produce a piece of art that talks about something horrific that also can parallel with existing policy, which also actually kills people, um, then it becomes very meaningful. And, and, and it requires much more deliberation and much more conversation than straight gag writing um, political mm -hmm. gag writing, which a lot of people in contemporary times do confuse for satire, but there is a there is a real difference. Okay. So you mentioned um, <clears throat> a few minutes ago being motivated by humanitarian concerns that you didn't mm -hmm. see expressed right. in um, other political cartoons. And and you very frequently tackle major international issues like the refugee crisis. Um, I've seen you do stuff on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, mm -hmm. climate change, a lot on war and peace, um, and obviously the power and abuse of power in the international economic sphere. Uh, given the largely visual means of communication that you use. Um, how do you address your analysis of these big historically rooted um, and, you know, often foreign to U.S. audiences uh, issue? Uh, yeah, issues to audiences like college students who may not have much background on these things. Well, that's the thing. Um, I think that they may not have a, a, a background. Well, let's let, let's just equate it to a sports analogy, <clears throat> um, which I'm not going to probably do well with. Well, well, listen, <laughs> no background. No, no, but you'll un you'll you'll understand what I'm. <laughs> what I, why I brought that up because I don't have any you know affinity for sports either and and that's that speaks to how um, how political conversation is typically raised and perpetrated um, there's this whole notion that politics uh, international politics world affairs are very complicated mm. um, and in order to have a full comprehension and therefore have a viable opinion about these things, you need to understand exactly who the players are, what their stats are, what the rules of the game are, because really when it comes to how societies are set up and, and how politics um, uh, matriculate through societies, there's rules, right? Uh -huh. And there's players. Uh, I find it 
really necessary, and this is how this is how you get students involved and 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 invite them into the conversation, because you say, all right, I'm going to approach the subject of politics as somebody who is first going to question the folly of the game. I'm not going to assume that all of the rules make sense, that they need to be there, and that we should adhere to them. It's very important. It's a philosophical question all of a sudden. Then if you approach it that way, and you say, okay, well, let's see, does it really make sense to allow this game to be uh, played this way to, sub to support how it is constructed? Because really, the truth of the matter is, you'll start to see that there are people who are invited onto the playing field who are not given um, helmets, who are not given padding, mm -hmm. but still have to participate and get their heads bashed in because there are people who can afford the luxury of padding and helmets who are being, um, you know, kept from harm. All right. Now, those are all sort of metaphors for real life. So if you can get students to recognize the fact that you don't have to assume that authority is there because it is smarter than you, it has more agency than you on how the world should be constructed, then it invites the Commonwealth to, to, to participate in the conversation which really authority does not want, you know, they, they, there's this, this whole notion, I think it's a Madison quote, you know, the, the, the whole idea of, 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 of American democracy at one point was to protect the um, minority of the opulent from the majority, because mm -hmm. the idea was the majority, they don't really, they're not enlightened. So we need an enlightened, right, right, exactly. So that, though, that is, that's often communicated as a truism that the, that the broad population is supposed to start with that as a solid foundation from which to build an understanding of the world. Um, and I don't start there. I always say, you know, just to, to what you were saying earlier, you know, we have to think critically about these things. So let us um, let's test the viability of this construction that you're assuming you have to exist in. What is the architecture? So in our department, we have a, a perhaps uncommonly big or maybe just uncommonly explicit um, focus on looking at power rather than like governments and institutions. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you're, if you're looking at power, you're going to be looking at institutions right. and such also. But we really define the study of politics as the study of power. Right. Um, and, and let me just say, because that's a very smart thing. And I just I would just say I, I do the same thing. And if you if you start yes, you with, with this. <laughs> Yeah, because if you start with this understanding that real power and and real manipulation of of populations, um, that's being perpetrated by by a a um, an authoritarian class that has nothing to do with voting. And I, I I often see politicians and and the face of politics is really being the the almost the PR wing of of corporate business interests, you know, where is, pro, you know, where's the flow of capital, right? And who is controlling that? And that to me is like, that's going to manipulate, obviously it's going to manipulate the policy that people look at. Um, but it, it's a real detriment when you think that all of the power resides in a single person. <clears throat> and we see it constantly, we're seeing it now, this whole idea of people who are really, really angry about tr Trump policies and just the Trump presidency assumes that, oh, once we get rid of that guy, 
things will, you know, we'll be able to build this really profound democracy. Mm. But there's already this, this, the job of being president is a pre-existing job. You don't go in with Gandhian ideas and then just like sit down and say, okay, we are going to fix everything with, uh, you know, very progressive pacifist notions about how to make this country function. No, it already exists. There's a certain amount of thuggery that has to happen, and there's a certain amount of, of, of corruption. I mean, the truth of the matter is, is that's what's so comical I find about this, uh, the, the situation uh, with the hearings that are happening right now with you, you know, Ukraine and the whole idea of just like, oh, uh, rooting out corruption, you know, and, and using corruption to root out corruption is really what this is, is about. Yeah. And the whole idea of just like, wow, can you believe that Trump is able to do this? This stuff happens constantly. This is, these are all of the shortcuts that actually make policy function outside of the public eye. And it's been going on like that forever. And I think that it, it, it's uh, to increase one's understanding on how the world works, as you were saying, you know, understanding power and not getting lost in the celebrities and the figureheads that we recognize as part of the narrative that we're being that's being communicated to us. Um, as, 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 as soon as we can get past that and understand how power actually functions, that's when uh, we can have meaningful discussions and 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 useful opinions on what to do as far as strategies moving forward with comprehension of how things need to function. Yeah, one of your cartoons that I really like is a peaceful transition to power, and it's basically taking a electrical plug <laughs> from one oligarchy socket to another oligarchy right. socket. Right, right, um, right. That's a, that's a powerful statement, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and those cartoons and the one you're talking about, it's, it's funny because I do different styles and the one you're talking about maybe took me six minutes to draw. Wow. Yeah. And it's ones like that, that where if you have the idea, you don't want to get in the way using the art to get in the way of something that would that simplistic notion, because really getting back to the idea of satire, if you look at the history of satire, um, quite often it's, it's, it's never really about trying to end the point you're making with a laugh. Okay, there is laughter inside of satire, but I would argue that true satire leaves you with a sense of uneasiness and allows you to maintain some of your anger. Um, it and gets so, you out of your comfort zone, in other words, yeah, being put it right, yeah. And it's really about just literally. Sometimes satire is literally just telling the truth, and that is shocking to people. And they'll laugh out of discomfort. It's, there's this incongruity that they're experiencing when they when when they see. But really, sometimes it's just all I have to do is tell the truth. Yeah. Well, there's yes. You have a lot of a lot of your cartoons have left me depressed. <laughs> just because they are the truth, and it is a uh, you know. I mean, like it would be nice if transitions of power weren't just from one oligarchy to another. Right. But um, it's you know, it's easy to to argue that absolutely. In right. um, looking at the time, it does look like we are about ready for a break. So the International Power Hour will be back in a couple of minutes. Welcome back to The Cat Show. Up next, we have Nico. Nico is a member of the Shelter Cat Group. That's right. A group known especially for their sunspot sleeping, ball chasing, leg rubbing, and of course, companionship. Just look how she struts. It's like she owns the place. And see how she curls up and cuddles her person. 
The pitch on her purring is simply perfect. Nice one. Fantastic cat. But really the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Nico is to meet one. Visit the shelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States and the Ad Council. The International Power Hour is brought to you by the Political Science Program at IU Southeast. Are you interested in how power is exercised by the people? Political science might be the major for you. Whether it's the political science or public administration track, you will get the skills to make you ready for a powerful career. To find out how to do this, go to www.ius.edu slash political dash science. You want to sit on the floor, sit on the floor. I'm not going to no stop. word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. We'll probably stay together. Probably? It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Thank you for coming. Can I get a mulligan? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. This is Gene Abshire with the International Power Hour. Welcome back, uh, Mr. Fish, our political cartoonist, who we are happy to have with us uh, in the studio this morning. And Cliff. <laughs> in oh, yes. Mr. Fish, I do have a question. Some of your um, cartoons, satires, uh, go to international outlets, uh, Croatia, I've noticed mm-hmm. several others. Um, mm-hmm. When you think about cartooning to an international audience versus an American or U.S. audience, um, is there a difference? Do you approach it differently or is just humor? Is it just global? It's global. I mean, I would say that um, as, as we were talking about earlier, many of the, the, the issues um, that I deal with, they do start with a, a, a global concept uh, that we are all a, a linked community that have the same, uh, you know, fears. And, you know, this is turning into the, the Hallmark hour, I fear, <laughs> all of a sudden. But really, it is a thing. There's a, there's a vulnerability that I always want to have as sort of the poetics at the center of my of my cartooning. Um, and also that said, uh, because the United States is so far reaching and, and has... Everybody in the world has a, a, it seems to me, a strong opinion about America one way or the other. Yes. Um, It makes it easy for me to go international with those, with those ideas. Okay. Yeah. But Croatia is really funny because I was, uh, I'm invited to Croatia constantly. They, they did a gigantic spread of me. It was like a three page (laughs) full interviews and, and all this stuff. And they even said they, uh, their heroes are my heroes. I mean, it's really interesting because it seems like a lot of American outlets that I communicate with, they don't know who my heroes are. Like if I talk Uh about Lenny Bruce, and these are people that are not cartoonists, you know, Lenny Bruce, I talk about Bill Hicks, uh, I'll even say Mort Saul. 
Um, and the when this this reporter from Croatia reached out to me, those were in her questions without me even having to say anything. What's your opinion about Bill Hicks? Wow. Um, and they've even said, come over. If you come over, we will throw you a parade. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I would really I would really <laughs> love to have a parade. <laughs> I, I can't say I've ever had a parade. <laughs> I don't expect to ever get, get offered a parade. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I, I have my white gloves ready to wave to the crowd. <laughs> I would love to see that. Do let me know if that I happens. Will. I and will I may just know. visit Croatia. <laughs> it's on my list. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, so in other words, cultures, in that sense, you're looking at cultures as being um, uh, uh, more fluid and in terms of, of, of understanding humor and things like that. Yeah, correct? it's not even... Um, yeah, let me say it this way. The If, if we're going to look at... Um, political satire. My greatest inspiration is the work that was being produced um, in the 1960s. I know that people say the 1960s and it's been, there's a certain nostalgia, which has now made it, um, uh, it's it, people's comprehension of what the 60s was has been sort of uh, commodified into something else. <laughs> we'll just say that. Um, but when it comes to uh, satirists from the 1960s and including cartoonists, um, it was about um, criticizing the authority. It was about criticizing mom and dad and how that manifests itself in in proper um, sort of civic society. Um, and so I, I really appreciate that approach where it, you don't, it, it, therefore you don't need, um, you don't need the specific figureheads. Um, right. To push up against you really, what you're really doing, just as we were saying earlier, it's really just about like, what is our community about? What are our values as human beings, not as citizens who have been categorized into one camp or the other? And at the risk of returning to the Hallmark theme, you did you did start at the very top of the show mentioning humanitarian concerns. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of those are global. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, I, I do, I find poetry and music a great inspiration also for what I do. Um, because I find being able to communicate uh, the profundity of what the human heart feels like uh as being deeply political to me and deeply meaningful because, because what that does is you need art that reminds you that you're a human being. And if you have that constant reminder, then you will be much more sensitive to bureaucracies and power moves by, by authoritarian people and, and elite society and so you'll push back because you'll recognize that it's encroaching on your preciousness, for lack of a better word. And you don't want that to happen. I think that people who forget about their own significance as human beings will surrender to the manipulation of, <clears throat> excuse me, of, of authorities that see them as something less than, than human beings. Right. And so I, I, I always want to remind people that they are precious enough to want to protect and to push back against people who are trying to cast, you know, cast them as something less than. Mm -hmm. So that's the way you would judge good art, good <laughs> cartooning, so on and so forth? It is one of the things. I mean, yeah. there certainly are some cartoons that do 
you know, go for the jugular and do go after personalities. And that to me is in, and everybody experiences that, you know, sometimes when you're really mad at something in the moment, um, it's okay. It's okay to exercise that vitriol in that way and name it. Right. Um, and then step away from it. It's, 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 it's totally fine. You know, it's the, it's, and even if you're wrong about it, I've gotten this question about, do you, you know, some, cause some of my stuff is very loud in its opinion. Um, <laughs> and I do, I adjust myself later on. And I forgive myself. It's not like, you know, given the information that I have and my reaction to it in the moment is a circumstantial situation. And I drew my cartoon in that circumstantial situation. Obviously, later on, as politics change, as cultural things change, you're not going to be the agent. The use of that cartoon is, is gone. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, it, it's not like, you know, are you ashamed that you did that cartoon? No, I think that people should have the ability and the grace to be able to make a mistake in public and then and be forgiven. You know, that's just kind. That's yeah. empathy. And that's part of also what I try to do. I don't I don't like drawing these lines that, uh, you know, establish like this is my box and I hate your box. Mm-hmm. Stay in your box and I'll stay in my box and then we'll just hate each other. Um no, I like when people are free to uh, communicate uh, what they think and feel always, even if it might be the wrong thing. I think that's very powerful, too. I do, too. <laughs> um, it, I'd like to share with our audience, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, you know, a little bit about a couple of uh, your specific uh, cartoons. Um, in one of your cartoons, you have an image of a soldier in combat gear letting um, a child look through the sight of his weapon. And there's a heading on the cartoon saying, uh, a British soldier helping a lost Iraqi boy by showing him where his mummy and daddy went. Right. Yes. Now, that one was done right at the beginning of the uh, the Iraq War. Um Oh, the lawn is being we mowed outside. Have really it's so loud mowing outside. It, looks, <laughs> <laughs> it looks stunning now. Um, and so, so yeah. So the idea of of whenever you put like a child into a cartoon like that, um, the, the question that people have of just like, wait a minute, you know that that's. It's almost like you're communicating something. Yeah, yeah, that's the question. And really, when it comes to war, and again, if we if we want to communicate the savagery of war, why it's something worthy of avoiding, worthy of something criticizing, show the 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 terror, the horror, and the sorrow, the deep sorrow. So the idea in war is particularly that one uh the victimization of the civilian population is the number one focus that we should be having because the way war is conducted now it's not we all don't meet on the battlefield you know we all don't have our uniforms that you know indicate which team we're fighting for right it's a much messier situation and it's a disservice to not communicate uh, the, 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 you know, what is, what we can identify with. Cause that's really part of it. The majority of people in the United States who have an opinion about whether a war is justified or not have no direct experience with war. Right. Right. So they're dealing with the subject with, uh, with all the propaganda, 
um, that is communicating what war is. It's virtuous. Support the troops. You know, they're all heroes, um, which kills any... They do understand the innocence of children, and that that's right. their attention. Yeah. That's the purpose of this. And that's, yes, and that is the purpose. And so, and so then what you're trying to do is you're trying to give them something that resonates with their own lives. Because if they are not engaged in battle, many of them, if they don't have their own children, are, you know, there's f- children in their family somewhere. So they have a certain, uh, a, a real connection to the vulnerability of children and the sorrow that may come from the slaughter of a parent. Yeah. And perhaps an unnecessary one. And then you're going to have an opinion about war. Yeah, I think one piece of that is the complexities of, again, not meeting on a battlefield. The targets are mixed in with civilian populations. Mm -hmm. But on the other side, a lot of the... Um, Attacks are being carried out remotely by drones, and Mm -hmm. um, that sets up an incredibly uneven playing field. Right. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Well, there's there's another cartoon, and I think uh, we've kind of shared with you that maybe you can talk about it as well, where you've got... uh, the Statue of Liberty there ruminating to herself, and she says, Wowie Zowie, imagine how illegal my terrorism would be without the ink, that's INC period, affixed to the end of it. Um, what are you getting at here? What? <laughs> <laughs> what I'm getting at is that um, that came out of the whole notion, the, the, uh, the simplification that we were going to Iraq to build democracy. Um, if, if, if you're going to um, limit your understanding of foreign policy to that level, to that juvenile level, then we are in really deep trouble. Um, so, again, a cartoon like that is attempting to, uh, to complicate the conversation because it needs to be complicated. As I was saying earlier, you know, you really have to question, um, and particularly with war. You know, you don't go to war if you're literally, I mean, it's it's as frank as this, if you stand to lose a lot of money uh, and you go into war comfortably, you, you perpetrate the war, you begin the war if you assume that you can win. And that at the other end of it, you will have a a heavy uh, bargaining chip to actually make money. You know, and the arms industry is not, it's, it's, it's not really, I feel silly explaining why that has been a problem for many, many decades. Um, but it is a real, it's a real moneymaker. Um, and then you're allowed to look at, uh, if I, I forget what this exact statistic is, but the fighters, the number of, of fighters that were fighting in, in Iraq weren't soldiers. They weren't career soldiers soldiers from the government they were they were these they they were basically mercenary hired soldiers you know so what does that mean what does what what direction are we going in when it comes to private um um companies with a a a um an armed forces that are 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 there to restructure the society in a way that benefits the people who are there and occupying it Right. So then you again. So whenever you put something uh, with cartooning, if you have something like the Statue of Liberty, which is typically not attached to to commerce, 
Right. And a very powerful symbol. Yeah. Yeah. And when you sort of conflate those two and ask people to justify why they would be angry at me doing that, then they have to go in and they have to, they have to make an assessment. And if you go in and you make that assessment, it's pretty clear why I would do a cartoon like that. And then you are, you're able to educate your reader to the truth of the matter. And really, that's, that, that's what I think my mission is. It's not really about trying to get people to think like me. It's really just trying to start conversations and often, quite often, uh, conversations that are messy and may not even have, I'm not even pointing towards a, a solution or a deduction that I know exists. I just know that certain conversations have to, uh, have to happen. As I said, one of the things with cartooning uh, that that happened right after, right before the invasion, right before we went into Iraq, mm-hmm. there were lots of cartoonists who were doing anti-war cartoons. Yeah. Once the sure. once it happened, and once the invasion had happened, the pullback from that kind of of criticism it it shrank and even disappeared in many sectors because you couldn't criticize anything that that made it seem you were against the troops. Right. So I did a cartoon <laughs> that had. Five Marines, and I labeled them each individually as good guy, good guy, good guy, good guy, good guy. And then I made, made a big bracket around it. So they were all there, and I said bad guys. Because there you have this complication of, of oh, okay, where's the criminality in what is arguable a, a unjustified illegal invasion of another country, where is that coming from? So then you can criticize, then you can see that I'm not criticizing, I'm not calling the soldiers murderers, Uh I'm calling the policy one that is unfortunately creating a criminal situation where there are people killing innocent people. So in many ways, you're doing what we try to do in the classroom as well. Right, 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 right. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm looking at the time, and it looks like it might be another another good moment for a break. So the International Power Hour will be right back. Imagine being fired because of who you love. Imagine being denied medical treatment because of who you marry. Imagine being evicted because of who you are. Millions of Americans don't have to imagine this. They have to live I missed the first part. I knew that. Because in 31 states, it's legal to discriminate against LGBT people. Get the facts at beyondido.org. Brought to you by the Gill Foundation and the Ad Council. I missed the first two because I didn't realize that we had done The International Power Hour is brought to you by the Department of Political Science at IU Southeast, studying power in all its forms and places, offering multiple tracks in political science and public administration. More information online at ius.edu slash political dash science. Welcome back to The Dog Show. Up next, we have Satchmo. Satchmo is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right, a group known especially for their couch-snuggling, ball-chasing, face-licking, and, of course, companionship. Now, let's see him in action. Look how he makes eye contact with his face. That's actually known as the truth stare. Intuitive, and now he appears to be excitedly turning in circles. Ah, the happy dance are coming with this group. But really, the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Satchmo is to meet one. Visit theshelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Art Council. 
This is Jean Abshire with the International Power Hour. Thanks to the IU Southeast Library sponsorship, we are here this morning with Mr. Fish, um, an amazing political cartoonist who will make you think regardless of your politics. Um, and we were talking about a couple of your uh, specific cartoons before the break. And I wanted to ask about one more um, that appears in the film about you that we had screened on campus last night. Um, and it's one that in a series of panels shows um, increasing numbers of casualties with different headings. The first heading is murder. The second one is massacre. The third is genocide. And the last one is with many, many um, dead, many skulls. Yes. Um, the last one is investment opportunity. Right. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, it's, it's really about um, redefining what violence is. Um, because I think it's really important. I, th I think that we have to um, expand our definition of violence to include environmental issues, uh, include even the the drive, like careerism. You know, I uh, many of my students are um, are they went to school in preparation for a job. It's job prep. Mm -hmm. You know, much more than than, you know, how do we think outside of the box, become critical thinkers that question the viability of of of, you know, the systemic corporate class that they're actually sort of ready to step into. Um, so if if that class is asking you to uh, silence your own voice and become a team player for a company that may be wreaking havoc on the environment somewhere uh, or on uh, very, you know, marginalized populations across the water. Uh, that is a kind of violence we have to, that we have to be aware of. So again, so that, that cartoon that you talk about is just like, yes, on a personal level, we can be really, really shocked by something. A, a, an analogy that you could look at, if you go to a, um, if you go to a small farm and it's a family run farm that produces a small amount of beef, you will see maybe a 10 year old walk out and shoot a cow that is wagging its tail that has been living a happy, you know, life, shoot it in the head for meat. You show that to somebody and which you can see online and there will be thousands of comments where that child should be shot in the head. This is brutal. This is, you know, go out because as you can see, the cow is happy, you know, and wag, it's like, a, it's, like a, it's, it's like a pet. <laughs> But what you but th there's no conversation about the the really the Holocaust that is that is factory farming, where you have massive amounts of brutalized animals that are not allowed to walk around, mm -hmm. that are hung upside down, have their th you know on a factory line, getting their throats cut, you know, and it's 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 really really horrible. So, and they won't, and, and these are the people, I'm talking about people who are angry about the single cow, seeing the single cow get shot mm -hmm. after living a meaningful life, probably had a name like Tippy or something, <laughs> um, v versus the, this, this other really systemic violence that is beyond brutal, and it's not even healthy, and it has environmental complications, Absolutely. you know, so all of these things, and that's ignored. Mm -hmm. So if we can extend our comprehension of what is injustice, what is even democracy? Democracy is now conflated so deeply with capitalism yes. that the idea of oh, democracy is now really that's that's um, 
a free enterprise, you know, and, and, <laughs> and it's not, you know, and it's a disservice to, to, to do that. So part of my mission is trying to reclaim the true definitions of words and concepts and, and situations so that people can get to the, to, to the, to the center of things without just responding to what has become the sort of the peripheral fluff that, that, that we keep adding onto it and diminishing the true meaning of things. Can I, uh, let me kind of shift the conversation here. Actually, uh, so, okay, I mean, ahead. let me go just ahead, raise Indiana, one thing. Sorry, because this is relevant to Indiana. Um, many states, use, going back to your to be the cow example, mm-hmm. um, many states have egg-gag laws so that, you know, not only are people not aware of, you know, the large-scale issues with, you know, animal food production, right. but the... Industries actually prohibit um, people from, you know, videotaping and releasing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, any images from that right. um, so that, you know, people can't know. Mm-hmm, um, right. And, you know, going back to the ideas of, you know, power structures and oligarchies and, um, you know, mixing politics with, or good, sorry, democracy with capitalism. Right, I mean, right. when I, teach intro to comparative politics and we begin talking about what democracy is, mm-hmm. um, I will often have students say, well, you know, it's a free market system. And I'm like, oh, no, democracy is a political system. <laughs> You're talking about capitalism, which is an economic system. Right. They are not the same. Right. I mean, I, th- I think that, sorry, Cliff, to like, stop and back no, no, up no, and put on fine. the break. I think that point of, you know, the conflation of a, a political system and an economic system mm-hmm. and, um, you know, the the blending of them in a way that is really um, disempowering yeah, yeah. of the democratic system. I think that's right. super important for well, people you, to think about, keep front of mind, and go through the world with an awareness of that. It's, it's and that's why politics has been called the it's making sausage. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's it's a tasty treat when you're done, but I mean, the process of making sausage is is a, is a brutal one. And and to to that point, um, and I I talk I show this to my class quite often. You know, you see, I flash the uh, the Apple logo on the screen. You know, and I, you can tell I'm looking out at the sea of students who all they all I think they all have Apple computers. So I see the glowing Apple in mm. front of me. And to that to, to them, that means, you know, it's sexy technology. You know, mm-hmm. you sort of want to keep on top of this. And then I so the next slide are the dormitories where for the the workers who assembled this technology and their suicide nets. Yep. <laughs> because the situation is so horrible, they're throwing themselves out of windows. Yep. And so to that point, understand the uh, the trajectory of all of this this stuff. Don't just be a consumer of products. You know, understand the the journey of 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 what where's your privilege coming from? Well, and I mean, even before the suicides at the Apple Foxconn plant, mm-hmm. um, you have the just truly, to me, thanks to my privilege, mind-blowing violence of what's happening in places like the Democratic Republic of Congo, where the rare earth metals like coltan mm-hmm. for the, the sure. power of those phones and those computers, right, right, right. Um, you know, because that's that supply chain yeah, yeah. is is pre Chinese factory, right, um, right? But absolutely part of that, and and the violence, um, you know, in. The Democratic Republic of Congo that is connected to that industry, it, I mean, it's utterly devastating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and very few people know. 
Yeah, and and really the people and the, and just to speak to just sort of the human uh, the, the human mind and the human heart, uh, those things are really upsetting. So I understand why people do not want to feel like they're enabling tragedy somewhere else in the world. Yeah. Um, but it is really important to get people used to um, uh, uh, wrestling with their own anxieties um, and giving them a place to apply the fix. You know, that's really part of it too. You know, just getting involved. That's the thing with democracy. The whole idea that, yes, we live in, in a, a, a democracy that is that, that every other country is jealous of. You know, that, that whole notion. How do people exercise democracy in this country? They think that they are, it's a viable democracy because every four years or every two to four years, they are voting for somebody who's going to, to, to not really do very much. There's no really democratic uh, involvement in those in-between times. And that's another part of how, of, of how important it is to, to get people to exercise their voices in between election cycles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Cliff, what were you going to say? <laughs> well, just kind of a, a follow-up on that, but to kind of move us in a different direction. If you look at, you know, in terms of your own cartooning and satire, it's kind of very much in your face, very cutting edge. Uh, and I have no doubt that probably some journals probably turn you down to put those stuff in, right? Um, mm-hmm. I guess the question I'm asking is if the if you look at America today, or any country for that matter, are there limits, institutional limits placed on political satire, and is that a danger? Oh, it's an absolute danger. And the truth of the matter is, is it's, it's, it's diminishing the number of people who are willing to even attempt the job of being a political cartoonist in this country. There have Killing been some effect. famous firings in the last couple of years. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a statistic, a statistic that I give, uh, and I'll just say it really quick, that the Herb Block Foundation did a study, and it was determined at the turn of the, the 20th century – um, the early part of the 1900s, uh, it was estimated that there were around 2,000 political cartoonists uh, working in the country, which means it was a staff job, uh, and it was a job that brought them uh, enough money to buy a house and a car and send their kids to college. Uh, the study concluded in 2014, where it was determined that there were fewer than 40 cartoonists wow. with wow. that ability in this country. And that was 2014. And now the numbers for that, uh, it's estimated between five and 10. There are people that are doing it, uh, but they're also working at like a bike shop while they're doing it. It's not, it's, it's no longer a viable single in a, you know, staff position. Now the question is, is it, is it because it's a, it's, it's an antiquated form of communication that's nonsense, mm-hmm. you know, because if you look at memes and you look at other short form, uh, 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 the immediacy of imagery has always been very appealing to people. So the, the, the yeah. language has not diminished. The question is, is why is that uh, is that language um, being um, controlled? And, and, you know, that's a whole nother hour. So so do you have any favorite cartoonists or essays that you like to read? Uh, I really like, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, cartoonists, not really, no real contemporary cartoonists. Hmm. Okay. Um, some from the 1960s. I really love Ron Cobb, if anybody knows uh, who that is. Uh, he was really, he's he's the one guy that who I see and I'm like, oh, I could erase his name and put my name on that. <laughs> um, uh, but I do like... 
uh, I'm really right now into a uh, seriously into uh, David uh, Foster Wallace. Um, I, okay. Yeah, so, um, Gore Vidal. Uh, I like I like Norman Mailer for just as many. That's another. That's a very complicated answer. Uh, David Sedaris, I love. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's 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 forms outside of cartooning uh, that I that I typically go to, which is probably why my stuff is is considered uh, by some uh, not really political cartooning. Because I do, I mean, the major, a lot of my stuff too. I, I want if you don't know who, what my work is, you should know too that I, a a sizable portion of the work that I do are just dirty jokes. <laughs> there is that element. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to give a shout out to your website so people can go and, and yeah, yeah, see yeah. your work? Yes, uh, um, my, I posted it on our Facebook uh, page uh, okay. yesterday, so um, listeners can also go there. But I, I will say um, it out loud. It yeah, is, uh, please feel at, free. Uh, you can see everything that I do at Clown Crack. Dot com and you can also if you since you uh, if you missed the screening last night the uh, filmmaker will kill me if I don't say this the uh, <laughs> the name of the movie is Mr. Fish cartooning from the deep end and it is available on both uh, iTunes and uh, on Amazon and it is an, a highly engaging film that gives lots of insights into your work and your life and I will I will recommend it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is actually at uh, last time I looked it is at a hundred percent at Rotten Tomatoes which if you're trying to oh, gauge wow. is one better than the Wizard of Oz. Oh my word! Oh, oh my! Oh my! <laughs> That's impressive. <laughs> I mean, it was really honest, and I I appreciated that. I will tell the filmmaker. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I, I felt like it was very honest. Um, and of course, you know that the Wizard of Oz is a political allegory as well. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Perhaps one last question. Uh, can we get in? One we more got five minutes. Even? Yes. Perhaps uh, some advice for our students or listeners out there that are journalism majors or those who just love to write satire, draw political cartoons. What advice would you give them? Uh, my advice would be to uh, to think honestly and critically about what you're doing. I would advise um, uh, assembling your concept of the truth in a private space. Um, because okay. there are different, there are different, uh, pressures that you get when you're existing outside of, of a private space. Um, so, um, I, I think rendering your story or your satire or your cartoon in a private space will allow you to avoid the insistence for decorum and, and in the insistence of, of, of toning down the messaging that you're trying to do, um, because that's that's what makes you um, that's what's going to make you unique, and it's going to make you make your work resonate with people. Because you know you're dealing with an audience that also deliberates on these things in private, mm-hmm. where they're going to be more honest about things and more free with their thinking, and a little uh, a little more questioning. Quite frankly, so I, I think that as as a is if the job of journalism is is the first draft of history, and you're trying to get the uh, the most honest depiction from which to build the further narratives from, your job is to be really um, really really honest, which is can be problematic and controversial, and make you uh, appear like you're trying to. Stir the turd, I think, is what the proper term is. <laughs> <laughs> um, but do it. Do it. 
I mean, do it because you're really trying to have a conversation. You're trying to deepen uh, the conversation. So you have to start them. So that's a second challenge, actually. We already, Cliff's question earlier about, um, you know, finding outlets that will publish mm-hmm. challenging work is right, one. Right. Mm-hmm. But what, what you're talking about is overcoming self-censorship. Uh, right. And yeah, that's yeah, yeah. a second, that that's is. a second thing. And that is, and that's, and that's, and just getting back to the point, the re- and you know, it's funny because, you know, I mentioned uh, David Foster Wallace uh, and I said that many Many of my inspirations are from the arts community, okay? And fo- so from the arts community, uh, just as, as we were talking, you know, it's really, you're not trying to, you're, you're not trying to have your words sanctioned uh, and approved by anybody when you're doing that. You're serving the art. So that, that might be the second part of that advice. While, yes, you're, if you're a journalist, pay attention to the poetry and the art, artistry of what you're doing, uh, because that will allow you to serve the truth that is in front of you, rather than trying to serve, uh, you know, to second guess what you're doing to the editorial board, and then maybe, by extension, what the public is going to say. Mm. That comes after. Serve the truth first. That is a... Excellent final note. I think I feel like that's kind of the mic drop moment. Yes. <laughs> so, Mr. Fish, thank you so much uh, for joining us this morning. It yeah, has thanks. Been a yes, pleasure. Thank you very much. Um, yes, it was a great conversation. Thanks. I hope that you will continue very long into the future, um, not to offend, but to enlighten. All right. <laughs> See, we brought it right back around. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, continue to work on your on, on your humanitarian concerns and challenge the powerful. On behalf of the powerless. Thanks. Join me. (laughs) Um, I'm there. (laughs) So uh, thank you listeners for listening to the International Power Hour again this week. Uh, If you've missed any of our past episodes, you can find us on iTunes and and Stitcher or stream us from um, iushorizonradio.com slash international dash power dash hour.